0: maximizing your potential this is the human performance podcast with dr craig duncan
1: so craig I, I will have done a bit of an intro by the time we uh we start this but i guess like i want to hear a little bit about your story in high performance sport where you started and how you've kind of ended up doing what you've done
0: yeah okay so uh look I, i've been in high performance sport for around 20 20 plus years now and I, I suppose if I take it right back, I, I played sport at a, at a decent level, but rather than an injury stopping me or anything like that, I just wasn't good enough. Uh, but I, I loved sport. And then, uh, I went and studied it. I didn't follow the normal, uh, sort of situation going straight from school into, into university. I took some time off and then went to university and studied sports science. And, um, uh, and then then went on from there, and then obviously did my PhD. So then, uh, from there, I was dabbling in high performance sport, and then I actually went into it full time. So that was as quite a quite a long time ago. Uh, in saying that, uh, starting in in soccer or football, which is my major sport, and then from my success in there, going on to other sports, and
1: and and going through those challenges. <clears throat> mm. So you you started off as an athlete but then because you found a a better fit as a sports scientist you slowly went through that did your degree as well as but you've been been working in the area for for 20 years yeah Yeah. that's a yeah 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 a long period of time yeah and so craig what would you say some of your um your highlights what have been some of your best moments as a sports scientist
0: well look i think i've been very fortunate um you know in in football and in soccer i've uh you know was able to be involved with Sydney FC when they won the A-League so won the competition and won the grand final uh, with Western Sydney Wanderers when they appeared in a couple of grand finals as well as winning the Asian Champions League the first Australian team ever to do that and I think it's going to be a long while before any other team can can do that I was with the Australian national team when we won the Asian Cup in 2015 and also qualified for the World Cup in 2018 and went to the World Cup in 2018 so they were also some one a great highlights. also worked with the New South Wales Origin team in uh, from 2014 to 19 but 2014 was a special time because they'd lost eight times in a row to Queensland and uh, it was the first year we came in and were able to get uh, that victory so that was great experience and I think Uh, working with the Iran national team in the 2019 Asian Cup and just missing out on winning that. So I've had some really great highlights, Mick, and um, yeah, it's been enjoyable. I think because I've worked across coaches, across codes, and I've sort of Mm. always had that thing. I don't want to be somewhere more than three to four years maximum. Uh, because I want the challenges I like the challenges and even now we've got one working with a team in Japan so going across language barriers uh, cultural issues as
1: well so I think that's all exciting but you you like coming in and taking a team that might be struggling you know like the like my beloved blues for eight years in a row and then, and actually changing stuff like and and changing the way they do things and seeing results. And in a way, there's sort of a certain satisfaction from you of being able to, um, to see a transformation rather than just see something ticking along for 10 years at a time. You'd prefer to go in, make a change and then hop onto the next place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I'd like the changes that I've made to actually stay there and then the new people come in and build on that. Uh, the other thing is I, uh, have a philosophy and and, and a system and uh, I suppose an overall strategy that uh, yeah. I, I keep working on, but but I like to see if that can work in different situations. And, uh, you know, it's exciting when people say it can't work uh, and you always listen to that, but then, you know, it's to see if you can make adjustments for it to work. And uh, I remember when I... I first got asked to be involved with the New South Wales State of Origin to look at what they've done in the past, and so I basically an audit, and so did that, and then and yeah, people said to me, oh, you wouldn't be able to do what you've done with soccer players, with rugby league players, in respect to the monitoring and and some of the cultural shift and all that, and uh, that's like a yeah, give me a challenge, and I'll. I'll... <laughs> Um, I'm excited. that's a red flag to a bull is it yeah, Craig? when they're yeah. like no you can't make that work um, yeah well, let's, Yeah, so let's see if we can <laughs> and what's the worst thing that can happen Michael you've lost eight in a row what you lose another one
1: <laughs> <laughs> well look Craig I hope over the next sort of uh you know couple of weeks of doing this we'll be able to really dive into um some of the things that you've that you've done and culturally that you've shifted and changed um but I guess the goal today is to try to get a, a, a bit of an understanding of why this is such an important thing for high performance sport um, yeah. people to learn, because some of them might be, you know, strength and condition coaches and they might not see leadership as an important part of their role. Um, mm-hmm. So and they might almost they might some people might think that, well, you know, teams ultimately live or die on the, the quality of their players um, rather than necessarily their leadership. So I guess I wanted to get your take on on that and, and you know, Wonder how how important is leadership when when you go into these clubs, or is it mostly just like about the the talent that they've got?
0: I think leadership is is very important. I I I, I won't say it's the most important thing, but if you want long term success, you have to have uh, wonderful leadership across an organisation. Uh, that is from the management of that organisation. So if you're looking at the the administration side, but also the coaching side, and also I'm very big into self leadership or you know personal personal leadership and how that filters down across the entire playing group. Uh, I think the world at the moment there's a crisis in leadership. We can only see what. Uh, some political leaders that are in charge. And, and from that perspective, I think we we definitely have a crisis in leadership in all walks of life. And I feel in sport, there's no greater example of, of that. I think it's really lacking. And uh, leadership
1: can make all the difference, and it will make all the difference if we get it right. So you're saying you can have, you know, Two teams, both with great players and the one with the good leader is the one that's gonna succeed over the long term. Over or the long you could term have, Yeah, yeah
0: definitely. definitely you can get short term success by spending a lot of money and, and getting good players in and, and just having that talent and having somewhat of a of a coach that abides by a leadership style. But for long term success, you will only get that if you if you really have sound leadership. And and leadership breeds culture, so that's, yeah. that's where it all comes
1: from. <clears throat> and uh, look, I couldn't agree more with like your assessment of how like obvious it is, sort of you know, in our political leaders at the moment, whether they're winning or losing against you know COVID nineteen is like a big testament to the leadership. And you can see the the differences between like a Jacinta Ardern eliminating COVID and your, you know, Trumps and Bolsonaro's just letting it go absolutely wild. And mm-hmm. I guess what you're pointing out is that in sport you know there's there's always these little challenges or big challenges that that test whether your team's winning or losing whereas in politics it's much harder to kind of have the same measure usually but at the moment yeah. it's so obvious and in sport that's always there you know if you're if your team loses 10 in a row then you'll lose your job you know and there's very few sort of walks of life where maybe it's quite so stark whether or not you're leading well or poorly yeah know?
0: yeah it's actually interesting what you say uh, I mean, sport's tough, and I and I think the students need to realise that. I I always say to students, first identify what life you want to have uh, mm-hmm. before the job you go to, and let's be let's be very honest here. High performance sport is a tough life. You said ten losses and you can lose your job. Sometimes it can be as as few as four or you know four or five, and and there can be a problem, and and that's an actual problem with the sport. And uh, an ex-player said to me the other day, I was asking him how his retirement was going and he said, look, look, it's good. You know, he's involved involved in some business and he says, if I have a bad day at work now, I don't have to read about it in the media. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's been my life. You know, like you you might have a loss the night before and then you even go to a family function or someone out with friends and people want to talk about, well, what's going on? It's
1: like, well. Yeah. yeah what's going on with your job <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah tell me about the last time you failed in front of yeah you so, know, five million fans yeah, yeah that's, so um,
0: failures can be quite significant um but that's all part of it and and i'm not saying that's right or wrong i'm just saying hey first design your life what you want to live
1: like uh before you think high performance sport is the place for you <clears throat> but there's two things i really like about that answer craig one is like yes i think I'm totally on board with you that try to design your life and you as a person in a way that allows you to implement all the skills that you've got in all sorts of domains. And, you know, I hope that that's something that students will get from this course is that they're not just learning about, you know, sports analysis, which might be really relevant in one area, but hard to generalize. This is the stuff that does. Um, but to your other point, you know, sport is just like a very, very good training ground for like leadership and helping people to be resilient and helping them manage failure and success because like, yes, at work we have that stuff all the time, but maybe the level of scrutiny isn't quite as public. And, and so mm-hmm. it becomes all the more important, but it also becomes such a good environment for for picking this stuff up, which is probably, you know, how, um, yeah, and, and the – the title of this unit is in high performance settings not necessarily high performance sport so we yeah. will bring in stuff from all sorts of domains um and hopefully it's useful in all of those yeah so you mentioned you mentioned a couple of um you know your experience with it with different coaches throughout your career and you've mentioned a couple of real highlights including some of the best coaches that um you've seen i'm wondering if you can kind of maybe pick one of those coaches and talk about some of the the examples that they set, what were the things that they did? Maybe who's, who's someone who sort of stood out to you in your time and you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but of course you can, but like who's someone who stood out as like a really good mm. exemplar of what you look for.
0: Look, I've, I've had some uh, really, uh, you know, I've enjoyed working with numerous coaches, uh, all with very different styles. But the one when you ask me that question that stands out is a coach called Carlos Kuros, um, a Portuguese national um was uh, assistant coach of manchester united for many years to sir alex ferguson then coached himself uh real madrid coached the portugal national team coached the south african national team and i met him when he was coaching the iran national team where he'd spent eight years there and i i worked with him uh, on the asian cup which was his final period of time in that job uh, Uh, Carlos is probably 66, 67 now and just a wonderful man. And I've never seen a group of players and a group of staff that would do anything for this man. Never have I seen that. Uh, Did he embody all great aspects of leadership? Uh, Not always. Uh, (laughs) But but as far as having followership, and remembering leadership, there is no leadership if you're not impacting on the on the followers on the and, people, yeah. and and having having influence. It was just incredible. I uh, I I really like him as a man um, and and as a coach. And interesting, if you know the background, obviously of Iran and the difficulties that nation has had. Um, his interpreter actually said to me that. Um, because he could speak English in multiple languages, but he obviously had an interpreter to speak to the Iran media, et cetera, and to the staff and to the players. Um, the interpreter said to me, in the 40 years of the regime, you know, of the, mm. of the Ayatollahs, uh, probably Carlos had been the most outspoken public figure um, in that 40 wow. years. So remembering the Iran national team uh, of football, it's an enormous position. Like there might be the Ayatollah, the president, and then the national football coaches right up there. Wow. <laughs> I, realized, I, I suppose I didn't realize until someone told me that there's 80 million people in Iran. And when the national team plays, 50 million people will watch that game. Wow. And so enormous pressure. He'd had success taking them to two World Cups. Um and and this was his swan song as such. We missed out on winning it. We lost a semifinal. Um, which was sad, but just his leadership qualities, Michael. He was just uh just a joy to be around um as a storyteller. Yeah, he was a storyteller, he was one of those charismatic type leaders, I suppose, which I can I I, I like to relate to. Um they say that your leadership role models tell you a lot about yourself, <laughs> and um, I suppose he's one. I just thought he was—he was fair, he was decisive, he listened, and, and he—he uh, he cared, uh, cared for everyone. So he had that servant leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. Right, to give you a, an insight, this ad, this was in uh, December. This the, this team and the staff had not been paid for many, 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 many months. And I'll never forget that it came near Christmas because we're in camp over Christmas and his group of staff, he said, he brought them all in and he said, I am, I'm so sorry. I've fought this federation and I've lost, uh, you will not be able to send money back to your, you know, to your family um, during this Christmas. But he said, "If you need money, I want you to come and see me, and I will, I will fund that for you." Wow. So that that was the sort of person he is, um, and as a football yeah. coach, and just a master as a football coach as well, because he he was an academic first. Uh, so he started a master's degree in football coaching, and so he was an academic first, and he was just a yeah, he was just a scholar of the game, but a good person. So that's a that's an example of that. With, so a I'm, I'm up on, yeah, with a yeah, with a with a leader, not like that. That whole whole place falls apart.
1: Yeah, he's a really good example of where that could easily go very wrong. But he's mm-hmm. got so much responsibility. But he's also exemplifying a lot of the things that are so important. Like not only being a really good role model, being a persuasive storyteller and communicator. Yeah, um, individually caring for every. Player to a point of getting them over the line financially because they're not getting paid, you know, and it's yeah. Christmas, like, yeah, like things like that build trust, they build loyalty. They, like you said, like you want to follow people like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, he's he's now working with uh, the Colombian national team, and I I do some help there with their their uh, staff when they need any help. And yeah, he's the sort of person you'd work you work for for you wouldn't even think of asking what money you'd be paid.
1: Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that's amazing. Mm. I'm wondering, like, I don't want you to point the finger, but I'm wondering, like, when you think about the the coaches who weren't quite so effective or who struggled or who came into, you know, where there wasn't a fit between the way they were working. And, And like I said, don't name names or point the finger, but like generally, what do you see as the biggest mistakes that leaders make?
0: They don't understand leadership. They're, they're, they're locked in a 1900 style of autocratic, uh, domineering leadership um, that just doesn't exist. You know, a mower does. It actually exists in sport, and it's just sad because, um, yeah, we've moved on from there. So that might work for a short period of time, but, gee, it has its limitations uh, because when your, your players realise that yeah this this coach doesn't really respect me the the behavior and how they treat others um you know that that will only have a very short-term focus and it doesn't even matter how much success uh they they get out of out of themselves in a short period of time i think it's the absence of intelligence michael to be honest um and i say that and i and i don't Think you need to have a phd to be in to show you're intelligent but what i mean is that a lot of coaches are ex-players mm. most of them are It's nothing wrong with that but if you don't have uh, a growth mindset in respect to your learning and you as a person and you're just going to carry on your coaching as you were coached um I think there's big problems for that. And then we don't get real advancement in the sport. I think football or or soccer, the sport I'm mainly involved in, I I just see um, the ego is so strong in it. Um, And I think, sadly, a lot of of these people end up coaches because there's no other occupation for them to go into.
1: So you see people who are... good players who may not have other options because they've spent their entire life in a sport. And so naturally, they go into coaching and you know they start with a, maybe a less senior old, but just because they've been in the club for a long time, they get into senior positions without necessarily wanting to become a better leader deliberately. They, they think that just because they've kind of got where they are, it means that what they're doing is working. But what you're saying is some of the time... They're not thinking critically about themselves. They're not looking at new strategies to improve. They're just doing what they did in the past, even if it's not effective over the long term.
0: Absolutely. And I think a lot of the problem is coach education. And uh, I think the level of coach education for me is is um, is quite low, uh, even at the highest level. I think the assessment, the reliability and validity of the assessment tasks is is often absent or lacking um, because it's it's being uh, the courses are from a federation, aren't they? Not an academic institution. I don't think many of the coaching courses would pass the rigor
1: of of our university. And, yeah, and so they're think- kind of getting assessed on something that really doesn't tell you whether you're a good leader or not, and yes. you know it's it's not. It's not well aligned with the actual role of what you need to do to be good as a coach.
0: Absolutely. Um, and yeah, there's many a coach that can't turn on a computer. Yeah. Is, that, is that a problem? But um, it, it's not like they're going to go in and, and research the, the latest information that's out there. Or, you know, we could ask to, do they need to? Because they could have people doing that. But I, I just think, uh, you know, across sports is a vastly different um, look and feel of coaches. And um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one. I really see an opportunity for the modern day coach that has not necessarily played for their country to come through. <laughs> it shouldn't be a criteria that you played at such a high level to be a, to be a great coach. I think you need to be around it and experience it and to know what it's like. But, but I, I hope to see that change. And, and I think we've seen that somewhat in basketball and, and that where, you know, these high school coaches can graduate, graduate through. But what I see in soccer a lot of the time is, okay, X player becomes an assistant coach as part of their final year package. Um, and, yeah they they progress through that and then they might get a senior senior role and it's not really exposed Michael because the fact is most of the coaches are like that so then we've got a a nice a nice dance haven't we because we haven't got someone that's going to take it and then and then take it to a new level and when we have seen that happen across the world you know, people are yeah, people are uh, amazed by that. But um, I'm working with some young coaches now that I think I think have it all over uh, some of the some of the
1: more senior coaches. And that's because they're more deliberately working on their coaching rather than just relying on what they've been taught. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. And their leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Look, at uh, it's um, music to my ears, Craig, because you know i like I, th- I don't think you have to be like you said a, a a genius to be a coach but you do need to show an interest in wanting to improve your skills and i think you like as much as it's a limitation not being able to turn on a computer the, the thing that that limits you in is your ability to make like a robust decision about something without access to the world's information at your fingertips you know what i mean like like if you needed to pick um, a training regimen or a strategy yeah. or a, a even the sorts of strength and conditioning or nutrition, like, yes, you get good people to make some of those decisions for you. That's why they bring people like you on, Craig. But, like, how do you know that what a good sports scientist is unless you can kind of really uh, vet and examine this stuff yourself?
0: Absolutely, Michael. I mean, you're the leader of an organisation. Um, another great leader I had was Ange um, an Australian coach that I had with the national team. But, again, what the common trait is is their intelligence. I'm sorry, it, it, that's what I see. Highly intelligent, very much an introvert um, and and didn't really, uh, you know, it, he's he's an introvert. So, And that's what I love about, you know, an authentic type of, you know, leadership star is you are yourself. You're not there to impress others. You're just going to be yourself. So you know what you're going to get. But I knew every report that I wrote for him, every discussion I had with him, he... He knew, he was very well read as well. That's what I noticed with him. Because I'm an avid reader, and particularly in the leadership area and philosophy area, I would see acts of him. And then I would ask him, have you read this book? And sure enough, he had. So an avid reader, uh, and he, he inspired me too. I'm very fond of him as a, as a, as a coach and, and as a leader. And, and what I like, Mick, is, is sometimes these co- it, it transcends, right? Coaching is just leadership. Uh, and you look at it and go, are these people a leader of people? Could they, could they transcend from this sport into something else? And we haven't seen much of that, but you'd think
1: it's definitely possible. Look, I, I, you know, I, I know a few examples. Um, I'm trying to think of some names off the top of my head, but I know, for example, one of our top, tennis players for a long time was scott draper and i know kieran perkins for example both of them have gone into like finance and banking into senior Mm -hmm. leadership positions because of their their commitment their drive their work ethic their self-improvement and their leadership skills Mm -hmm. um and i guess i want to come back to one thing that you mentioned because i just want to clear up a a thing that people might accidentally you know misinterpret but when you say like like intelligence is important some of that is is determined because you know people are have higher aptitudes than others um but you know like you also said that Ange like just reads vivaciously like you know and and i think like that is something that is like within your control you know what i mean so sometimes my problem solving skills or my memory short-term memory (laughs) lack like what i would like them to have but what you're saying is like a lot of the time you can make up for that with with reading with wanting to learn with with challenging yourself and pushing yourself out there even if like your you know natural yeah. abilities might not be as high as the you know your your average phd or mensa genius
0: well, well absolutely because they want to you know they're always at uh, you know coaches always want to see players trying to improve themselves but you know coach
1: are you trying to improve yourself <laughs> that's a really nice analogy And it's actually really apt because like you mentioned in passing the word growth mindset which i think hopefully most people sort of have encountered but you know for those who aren't it's the the belief that you can can change and versus the belief that things are sort of fixed and genetically determined and and in sport it's so obvious that like your skills and your strength and your body can all change in response to training yet so many people hold around these, carry around these sort of beliefs that their intelligence and their knowledge and their leadership skills and their interpersonal skills and all of them are just who who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, I think it is really self-limiting. You know, the hard parts. There's a, there's always a kernel of truth, but like, because I'm never going to join the NBA, I'm just not tall enough. But at yeah. the same time, like, so many things about me have changed through work and effort including my ability to lead and I guess that's something I want to make sure that you know people don't come in thinking that they are just natural leaders because you've described two completely different personal styles like it sounds like um the gent in Iran whose name I've briefly forgotten Carlos, but, and, Carlos, Ange. Carlos and Ange are, are very different ends of the personality spectrum but both are amazing leaders because they use what they've got and both show similar characteristics that they've both learned would you sort of agree?
0: yeah and and you know what mick also for me and and like i said it tells a bit about me but you want authenticity i think we all strive for that and when people see cracks in what people say and their actions that drives doubt and and you know we all have that we all want to trust our, our leaders and i've seen that with some leaders that i've worked with they'll say one thing act another way and you're like you, you now mean nothing to me um I'm, look I'm very very fortunate I suppose at this stage in my career I'm only going to work with leaders that i I can yeah really respect because otherwise I'm not being true to myself and if you see the words and the actions uh, with a gap unless you know it's a challenge and you think that they want to get better you know that's a different different um, mm. different thing isn't it but um, I think that's very important. And, yeah. and can I just take, you said right back, you said, uh, you know, there could be strength and conditioning coaches listening to this or whatever. Um, you're all leaders. We're all leaders uh, in some part of our life and particularly in respect to ourselves. If your self-leadership is poor, then um, I, I think it's, you know, you, you're not going to maximize your potential um a lot of people do these courses and uh, all the time and and you and i have spoken about this the technical skills okay they're important all right they're important to a point but um they're not as important to me uh because i just take it for granted that your technical skills are sound you're not going to Get a job by being having technical skills that are greater than the next person in a lot of ways because it's really not rocket science, is it? You know, uh, it's what science is not, not rocket science. Um, so that that part of it's good, but your leadership qualities, your thoughtfulness, your curiosity, all these aspects are so important, and um, I get quite concerned that most people doing sports science and masters in sports science or high performance, they're more focused on the technical, technical stuff. Well, as someone that employs a lot of people, I'm telling you, I can outsource that.
1: But whereas the, um, I wonder whether you could outsource the four C's. So the four C's that are like, and I don't know where I heard this, but it's like communication, critical thinking, collaboration, and creativity and like, those are the sorts of things that I find are much more applicable across domains. You know, like, yep. I, like I, I learned a lot of my critical thinking and communication and collaboration as a psychologist. But when I came into yep. academia, like I slipped into a whole lot of really like easy roles because those skills were so transferable. Like you yep. really have to be able to think critically to interpret data as a sports scientist, to read literature as a strength conditioning coach, to to look at yourself as a, as a team and as a leader and as a, as a captain. And I also like what you said there about like, yes, managers are appointed. Like you have to be kind of appointed the manager or the high performance sport manager. But leaders are sort of more organically derived from the like the effect that you have on people. Do you know what I mean? Like you can be a leader within a team without being named the captain because yep. people respect you and look up to you and, and follow you no matter whether or not you've kind of got any titles sort of along those lines. Well,
0: absolutely. And that's like, uh, you know, the authentic leadership style is you don't need the title you don't want the title it's not that's not important it's just how you how you behave yeah
1: no i I like that craig and i think that authenticity comes up in quite a few of the models that we'll talk about over the sort of coming weeks um Mm. but like you've you've been deliberately working on this for a while and you've mentioned a couple of barriers to people's um leadership but like you and or like what they're learning of leadership. I guess what I'm wondering is like why is it hard to learn how to do this? Like why is it that some people struggle? You mentioned that it could be sort of their lack of intelligence, but like there's there's something else to that because some some leaders do an amazing job and they they're, they're self as not being the kind of brightest spark. So why why is it hard to learn to be a leader, you know? Well, Michael, I think it all comes back to for you know, for every one of us Uh,
0: You and I and anyone listening to this and anyone we know, our ego is our our greatest enemy. And if we uh, think uh, or allow our ego to to take over and we don't have that idea that we can be better, that there is things to learn and our ego is telling us that, you know, I know it all. I've got to control everything, you know, so and so is going to, you know, all this destruction that can be caused by the ego um, I, that's absolutely at the root of the problem because we are, it, it's, it is just killing us in every way. And then that happens all across the world in every, every area. And I know it's, um, something that I go on along, uh, on about a lot. And I'm, I'm one that has a, has a strong ego that I've got to fight, uh, but having that self-awareness to know when is my ego impacting me negatively Mm -hmm. so it's stopping me from being better. And that happens in leadership roles all the time. The amount of leaders that I see that are just so insecure, I wouldn't even call them, let's say people in leadership positions that have such great insecurity that stops them from actually um having great influence so really that the, they, they struggle in these roles and i get back to that point i said um there's a crisis in leadership um yeah yeah i think there's because we have to always determine that there's a
1: difference between managers and leaders mm. yeah mm. and i guess like what you're tapping into there is something difficult for us to kind of really fully cover in this course but i really hope that we can through conversations like this which is like one is like you know how do we know when our ego is getting in the way but two like what do you do about it like yeah my my ego kind of gets in the way all the time i think any kind of um self-reflective authentic person will notice their where their ego kind of being the enemy as you put it um but what do you do about it craig
0: well, well, I think that you, you raise a really good point. You reflect, and uh, and that's why you and I wrote a journal together. To, and, and, <laughs> and, and and it's and by the way, we're not trying to sell that, but what we're saying is, you and I both wrote. We the reason we came together and wrote that is because we knew how important it was, and we thought let's do something, let's let's write a journal that that we would use, and uh, I use that every day, uh, and. And that helps me because I can look at my life and reflect on it and go, okay, what is stopping me here? Um, is Is it my ego? Why am I not listening to this? Why am I making the same mistakes over and over again? Where is it coming in? And then it's that determination to try and be, it's tough. It's tough. But the first step is to recognize it, isn't it? Is to recognize that it's a problem for all of us. See, often we think ego, we think people that are quite extroverted um, or, you know, what we call full of themselves. And, you know, I've had people telling me that my whole life, but it's, it's that's just the outward sort of thing. Everyone has this issue. You know, I've met some very uh, quiet people that have such strong ego. You know, like that, you know, when someone says something to you and you instantly say, no, you're wrong that's when you've got to start thinking, okay, why why am I saying that? And that happens all the time. The other thing I I think um, is the biggest problem I see in leadership in coaches is surrounding themselves. And this goes on from the, um, from the ego, they surround themselves with staff that is just an echo chamber. Okay. And what do I mean by that? I mean by they have assistants and staff that tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And that I would say is very common in sport. And uh, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Any coach that I work with or, or leader that I work with, I say, play the game, say, say a few things that uh, you don't believe that are, that are really off track and see if they're repeated back to you and people are nodding their head and agreeing. And uh, when, you pass, <laughs> when you've got a staff doing that, that's time for you to uh really reassess uh what you're doing and that's ego mate. that's a big problem the echo chamber that's just around you telling you what you want to hear
1: this is so astute craig and i love the way you've tied it all together with a really interesting thread because what you're saying here is that like one is your ego gets in the way of you learning right Mm. and accurately self-reflecting it might get in the way of you seeking external feedback. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like it, it took a lot of courage. I remember the first few times I did the equivalent of like a 360 where I asked everybody I was working with, like, what do you think? Like genuinely like hit me with the, it's anonymous, just smash me. Um, that was hard. And it was my ego. Yeah. But also like, the ego wants people to say yes craig you're right i'm fully on board with you i i i don't disagree with anything you're saying you know like because that that confirms the part of your brain that wants to be right you know there's been some really interesting neuroscience studies that say like when we get an opinion that doesn't um like, confirm what we already believe, right? And they do this on both the left and the right of the spectrum, you know? Like, you get lefties who hear things that are just way off the bark and people are right-wing and disagree with. It physically activates their threat system, the same system that they're, like, if there was a lion in the room. And and so what I'm saying is, like, yeah. yeah. But So, like, we need to be able to have, like, enough security in ourselves to be able to challenge our own ideas, Right which is different. Like th- my beliefs and me are not the same thing. And so like, you know, having people challenge my beliefs who are diverse, who I'm open to receiving opinions that don't fit mine, you're saying that's that's critical for me to be able to get my ego out of the way and all of that's critical in order for me to be able to lead.
0: Absolutely. And I I think one of the most important people that uh that that this can come from and really helps you and gives you a really good grounding, I, I think is your family. And, uh, uh you know, <laughs> a partner that tells you what you need to hear is worth the weight in gold. I can't stress that enough. And that's the hardest to ever hear. If yeah. that makes sense. And, um, and, it, and it, it's not surprising that uh, a lot of leaders that I see that um, are very off track and surround themselves with a, with an echo chamber also um, are very domineering in all aspects of their life. So um, it's, it's interesting. They like to
1: be in control. They like yeah. being right. And so they surround themselves by people who they can influence more easily. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hard. And so, like, what what do you think of the sort of – so we've talked about reflection as a habit to try to challenge that. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you think there are any other sort of habits or practices that you think help you get out of an echo chamber and get to the truth,
0: you know? I think it's about having a, a, a really good – I think we all can deal with mentors or, or have a mentor or have a really good support network. Uh, I think that's that's really key and that's – what i enjoy. so you might you might be a leader and so you're out out on your own in your but there, you're gonna have other people in other areas that are on your level they mightn't be in your organization they're great to connect with because they they don't have as much fear of telling you what you want to hear and i've got people like that you know i'm lucky i have have you and some friends you know at the university and other friends that are that are a similar level of of myself. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's a really good environment to get into. And look, yeah. we've lost that, we've lost that robust discussion, you know, where we, you know, in, in more ancient times where people used to sit around and have these robust discussions about politics and life. And, uh, you know, that was how philosophy really started to come through and, and have these debates. People are rushing around all the time and have lost this. And uh, I think it's so important to have a network of people that you might meet with just to just to throw out these ideas. Because, and and from a diverse range. Um, because I I will always still, you know, I will have a, a feed of articles that come into you know from you know sports science in my area. From a technical perspective, okay, I always get that, so I I stay up with the literature. I am not going to change the world in sports science by reading about sports science. Mm. You know, I have a great interest in psychology, philosophy, business, leadership. Mm. So, so uh, those sort of areas, if you can then bring them back into your domain, you're going to to jump, uh, jump much further,
1: um, further ahead, and change change an industry. Yeah, so what you're what you're saying there is like that the the industry change and the creativity and the innovation the, the culture shifts and um, come from the blending of ideas from different perspectives yeah. where they bring something in from externally yeah. and apply it here. And you're saying two ways to do that. One is or well, three really. One is to read widely, cover things mm. from different fields. And I hope in this course what what the way we'll do that is by i'm going to try to bring in literature from from medicine from the military from yeah. any sort of high performance setting where where you've got experts in different fields who are trying to solve similar problems um he said two was to try to really bandy around ideas with mentors who come from different perspectives you know like i i work closely with you know john marnie who's also a sports like did the same masters as me and to be honest we now don't go to the same meeting because he's like well you're not going to say anything different to me. <laughs> um, and so not have mentors like John, have mentors like like you or like my mm. colleague Chris Lonsdale who they're from different perspectives, you know. And then mm. the third one you said is, is that self-reflection. And first, sorry, before I move on, the way that in this course we're going to try to do that is to put the students into teams where they can self-reflect and discuss ideas and give each other honest, critical feedback, yeah. even though you're coming from different perspectives, you know. And the third one is self-reflection, which... <laughs> We've built into this, um, you know, program through the through the first assessment, and and hopefully through that you can really have like a an honest look at yourself and say like, okay, how well do I do this? What am I missing? What do I need to do better? Um, and and have it focused on sort of the structures that we're putting in place. So I think this is like, it's really nice, Craig, because like a lot of this is coming unprompted from our, our conversation. That like, you know, you see all this stuff is really important, and we've got some nice frameworks built in here to to make it happen. Yeah. Um, we're coming to the end of sort of our hour and I guess I, I, um, I'm i really excited to have you as part of this. I think it's like a really valuable applied perspective that brings in all of these different areas, like you said, philosophy and science and sports science and psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you for, for coming along and having this chat, Craig, and I, I really look forward to us kind of taking this further over the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Thanks, Michael, for having me. Thank mm-hmm. you.